make sure I get the pronunciation. Is it, is it Raj? In case you were wondering Excellent. how to pronounce it, it's Victoria. It's been a long time coming. The tide is turning. We tired of running. We rising up. It's been a long time coming. They proud is hurting. Shake off that burden and that dirt in. Gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Raj Nation Innovations Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka the Raj Nation. I am your show's host. I'm the founder of Raj Nation Innovation, obviously. I'm also a hip hop artist and a yoga instructor. Above all else, I am a storyteller. I am joined by my co host, Victoria Cohen, aka VC Money. Victoria is the voice behind the blog, Almonds and Asana. She's a yoga instructor, a health, wellness, and fitness enthusiast. Above all else, she is an activist. And this is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, startup founders, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. It's real talk with real people doing real big things to show you the real side of success. In this episode, we sit down with Jeffrey Shaw. Jeffrey has just as many titles as Victoria and I both do. He is the host of the Creative Warriors podcast. He's a photographer. He is a business coach as well as a well-sought-after public speaker. So naturally, our conversation stems around stage fright. Specifically, we ask the question, how do you conquer stage fright? Now, before we dive into this conversation, I want to give you an invitation. If you are not a member already, go to www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Enter your email address there, and you will never miss another episode of this show. Getting a shiny brand new email in your inbox every single Monday when we release a new episode. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with Jeffrey Shaw. How do you conquer stage fright? Let's listen in. So... I dealt with with really paralyzing shyness um, well into my mid twenties. You know, I think there's a real irony. I interview on on my podcast. I interview a lot of authors, and I've heard this from a lot of authors: the irony of choosing a profession that is reclusive. You know, you think you're going to be able to escape from the world by choosing the profession as being an author, just like I did. Like I, I at some point in my early teens, I decided I'd be a photographer, which was kind of the perfect fit for a shy person because, uh, you know, back in the day we, we spent a lot of time in dark rooms. Um, as a photographer, you always have this, this box between you and the world. Um, you know, and somehow when I would be out on the streets and I'd be photographing it at the time, I really enjoyed photographing kind of fine art stuff, uh, like under staircases and shadows and light and stuff like that. And somehow I'd always look around to make sure, sure nobody was watching me. Like there was something sinful about, uh, or wrong about photographing. And, um, but this box kind of between me and the environment was kind of a, it was a safety. And the irony is that when you're good at something, suddenly you're thrown center stage. And I've heard this from a lot of authors too. You know, they, they, they wrote books, they became an author because they loved the reclusive lifestyle. And then, uh, next thing you know, their books become popular and then they're being asked to speak. They're asked to be on stages. They're asked to give keynotes. 
And it winds up bringing out a side in yourself that you may or may not have known even existed. And for me, I, uh, you know, I was good at this photography thing. And somewhere in my high school years, even, uh, I started getting attention. I won a national award uh, given by Kodak. My photographs went on tour. I had to do a few few public appearances, uh, accept the award publicly. Uh, went off to college uh, or photography school, um, and you know, wound up giving a speech at graduation. I got the award for the best portfolio. I was chosen by the other students to give the closing speech at graduation, and it was crazy because here I had chosen to do something that would keep me silent, keep me away from everybody else, which was honestly, my preferred way of being in the world. And next thing I know, I'm kind of thrown center stage and trying to figure out how to deal with it, um, which, you know, I learned to. And so I, I, people ask all the time, like, am I an introvert or an extrovert? I actually don't know the answer to that anymore. You know, and, and I think there's different ways of, of defining that clinically. There's one definition for clinical introvert or extrovert. Like you're, I think the clinical definition is you're an introvert if you recharge by being alone or you're an extrovert if you recharge by being in the company of other people. By that definition, I guess I would say I'm an introvert, but most people nowadays, if I say I'm an introvert, kind of laugh at me. <laughs> they don't buy it anymore because they look at the way I live my life and the fact I'm a keynote speaker and a professional speaker and I have a podcast and I don't come across that shy person anymore. Uh, and yet I've, I've spoken and I've interviewed people that are experts in introversion. And they say that you can't, you don't necessarily grow or change your natural modality, but that maybe you learn to work with it. And I, honestly, Roger, I'm not even sure if that's it. You know, to me, I feel like I don't know that I trained myself to not be an introvert or I grew out of it. Uh, I think it's there are parts of being a, on center stage that actually are really good being an introvert. And I think that maybe that's what the conclusion I would come to is that uh, I think in today's world, there are a lot of ways the, the natural characteristics of being an introvert are actually to our favor. I think we're more empathetic, really good listeners. There's something very lonely about being the only person on the stage, <laughs> even though you might be in an audience of thousands in front of an audience of thousands. There's something very lonely and singular about being on stage. And somehow that's oddly comfortable being an introvert. Um, as long as you can manage, which what I've, I've had to learn how to manage the, you know, what I'm there for and make sure that the spotlight is not on me. Uh, because then that's when I that's when I freak out. If I start worrying about are my clothes right, and my hair look okay, am I doing a good job? Am I being perfect enough? If the spotlight's on me, then that's where the introvert kind of caves in. Where if I keep it on the act of service, and that it's I'm there in service of the audience, then then I don't fall into that trap of uh, trying to deal with the introvert. So, yeah, I, I guess it's fluid. You know, I I think introvert extroversion. <laughs> Speak of fluidity, you know, we talk about, you know, sexuality is so fluid nowadays. Well, this is a different, <laughs> you know, it's just a different version of it. I think introvert and extrovert is kind of fluid. I, I can't, I, I don't know that I can say I'm either one or the other anymore. I I find the, the topic of the introversion and extroversion actually very timely. Just literally like earlier today, I was talking about this um, during a presentation. Uh, and, and you mentioned, I think you said it was like the clinical version of introversion versus extroversion. And I do think there is a common misunderstanding mm -hmm. of what each actually means. Like most people say, think an introvert is like someone who hates being around people. 
which is not the case. It's, it's really, it's more along the lines of, at least so far as I understand, uh, Jeff, what you were saying, where it's, you need some alone time. It's like, if, if you're with a bunch of people, it can make, it can drain you of energy instead of giving you energy. And you need to like, just maybe during that interaction, just step out of the room for a few minutes or when it's done, you've got to go home and recharge. Um, whereas the extrovert might be able to just like keep going and riding the high of being around people. So it actually has nothing to do with, do I like people or do I hate people? It's just right. more like, what, what is the thing that gives me energy? And, and to your point about being on stage uh, and, and being okay with that, my uh, previous co-host of this show, Martin, who I used to have a business with as well, he used to talk about this all the time where he would, he identifies strongly as an introvert. And I think on the scale, he probably is leans more towards extrovert than most introverts would, but he is an introvert, but he was always really comfortable in front of a room and, and giving talks and that kind of stuff. And he said, it's because, and tell me if you agree, Jeff, if, it, if this applies to you as well, he would say how, when he was in front of a room, even though he was an introvert, when he was the one like speaking, he had control over the environment. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it was just yeah. like a general networking event, he would get so frazzled because he had no control over what's going on in that situation. Oh, yeah. so if he is yeah. like known to be the center of the talk or the attention, he's fine. But if he's suddenly just in like a mingle and he becomes the center of attention, not exactly. I think yeah. I'm like yep. the opposite. Not that I, I don't oh. mind public speaking. Like I'm a yoga teacher. I stand up in front of lots of people and speak for like an hour or so on end often. And that's probably even made me more comfortable just sort of like speaking off the cuff. But um, you know, I, I, I think probably like anyone, I experience a certain amount of nerves when I know that I'm, you know, all eyes are on me when it's planned, but I think I definitely like being, not, oh, I like being the center of attention, but in social <laughs> I settings, do. I totally, yeah. I know I well, that's the irony. That. I do I too. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even as an introvert, I think introverts, yeah, they also crave to be the center of attention. And I 100% agree with you. I, I'm I'm terrible at parties. I mean, it's, probably, it's the most uncomfortable thing for me. Like, I'm not – yeah, I just find the whole – and I'm recently single as of the last several months. I'm like, oh, man, this is the part I hate about being single. <laughs> like, you know, I hate the having to go to things. And, yeah, I, I'm – but, yeah, I'm more comfortable on stage. And I think it's a couple things. I think, yeah, there's definitely – there's a control to it. Not that you're a controlling person, but that, that you're prepared, right? I think there's a preparedness that makes you really comfortable. But I also think it's a management. Like somehow when you're an introvert, you've you've learned to manage certain situations and somehow being suddenly being found alone on stage, you've actually probably managed that uncomfortableness most of your life. Yeah. So yeah. I, th I think it's a learned skill. I think you're actually, like I said, it's, there's, there's a lot of people, a lot of keynote speakers that would, will, will say that they're, they're naturally introverted and yet they're comfortable there. And I think it's, like I said to me, I, I think more than anything, it's because you know what, throughout my whole life, I've learned to manage that type of situation of being uncomfortable. So, uh, you know, I can be uncomfortable in many situations and, and manage it. And I think that's, that's a, but you know, the other, the other paradox of this all like you're talking about uh, your your former co-host as well when i lived in new york city um i would often if I, I needed to kind of refuel i was a little tired i would often go to times square which hmm. the, you know, as a new yorker you never go to times square for any other reason like there's just you avoid it but i bet you'll know you won't run into anyone you know there <laughs> yeah there's something right there's just something tourists. very alone right there's something very alone about being around masses of people because then it's just all white noise yeah 
right? As opposed to being in a situation where you're going to run into somebody you know, and then if you run into somebody you know, they're going to exhaust that last bit of energy that you have in yourself. So yeah, there was something about, yeah, it's just all very fluid. I have a really hard time these days defining. I find myself getting caught up in old talk, old you know, language in my head saying, yeah, I'm an introvert. But then I'm like, yeah, no, it's just not that anymore either. Yeah. Well, now we know that Jeff's way of recharging is to go and try to get on TRL with Carson Daly by going to Times Square and nominating his favorite music video. Well, and I, I've actually, I've never thought of it in the like recharging way. Cause I've like, I think I've always considered myself probably an extrovert, but there, I have a, maybe some, sometimes I've thought, oh, well, but certain parts of me are a little more introverted, but I definitely 100% get more charged and more energy the more I'm with people than I do being by myself. So I guess clinically, I'm an extrovert. <laughs> there we go. There's my answer. Now I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I see. So with myself, I believe and I've always identified as a pretty hardcore extrovert. However, that doesn't mean, and there's I think there's probably even a misunderstanding on the extroversion scale. Sometimes I just need some time to myself. <laughs> yes. And like, I love the idea. I haven't, I haven't actually done it, but I love the idea of just like, driving somewhere remote for a weekend and not talking to anyone and turning everything off. Um, like that sounds amazing to me. That gives me a lot of anxiety. <laughs> so you, you guys have, you guys are both, I said, uh, you guys seem like you're both experts. So I'm curious, like, how do you go to parties? Like I, I, this sounds going to sound well, so simplistic, put, but this is new for me. I don't like going to things by myself, but once I'm somewhere, like my husband and I will, if we're at an event together we will rarely spend a minute together. Like we're both the kind that are totally off, like doing our own thing, talking to other people. Like we have to be in a pretty like unknown situation to stick with one another. And I feel like I'm kind of that way. Like generally whoever I would go to a party with, he's just usually the person I would go to a party with. But I definitely don't like going to things by myself. But once I've met a person or two, then I'm like very comfortable to just you know, start up a conversation and, and but how do you meet someone? I mean, this is, this is good. You're going to teach me. I'm going to walk away knowing how to do this. Okay. Um, I'm trying to, okay. So I recently went to like Chicago cares is this, um, nonprofit in Chicago that like puts on lots of volunteer events and they did this Chicago cares serve-a-thon, which is like this massive day of service. And they literally get like, I don't know, some like thousands of people sign up and come out, but almost everybody does it as a team or, you know, as like a family or whatever, people make shirts. I mean, they have this whole thing. And I showed up, you show up to um, like Daily Plaza or Federal Plaza, I forget where it was, One, you know, like a big plaza in Chicago and there's just tons of people. There's like music and tents and whatever. And then they put you on, they've assigned you to put, to get on a bus and go to your volunteer event. And I signed up by myself and actually my husband dropped me off in the morning. He couldn't come with me and, I, you know, whatever. I decided to go alone. And I was like, I don't, I mean, this is like two hours. I just have to like stand around in this plaza with like all these people that are on teams and just hang out. And I don't know, I started standing in a sunny spot and I noticed someone wearing something I could comment on. And so I commented on her shirt and then I started talking and then that group brought me into their group. And then I saw someone else who was wearing a shirt from a company I used to work for and I started talking to them. So I don't know. And I somehow managed to meet a bunch of people that day. Um, All talking, right, so that's the key. I just yeah, started commenting on people's commenting clothes. Commenting on clothes. Mm -hmm. No, seriously, it's a really good icebreaker. I Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. No, I was, hey, give me more. Tell me how you yeah. handle it. I'm curious so, now. I honestly, like, I frequently go to events by myself or, part, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, I've been like professional, like quote unquote parties by myself, as well as even like, you know, if someone I know is having people over, but I'm not going to know a lot mm-hmm. of people there, I'll still go to that. I still have been and will go to that by myself. Um, so there, I think there's a few things that go into this. And, I, and like, as Victoria was talking, I was trying to like figure out like, what's my own process for this? And what do I do? Because I don't know if I've really ever analyzed it. But I think it, there's a few things involved. One of them is I, je- and this comes from literally having taught this stuff, like taught how to pitch yourself for years now. So I know like how to talk about myself and generally because I know that like when people are like, Oh, what do you do? Like I have a pretty, I don't mean to sound like cocky about this, but I have a pretty compelling <laughs> answer for that. And so people but I'm are like, so interesting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Victoria's like eye rolling over here. So, but because of that, like people generally want to like continue to talk to me then. And then, so I'm basically but he's not asking that he's asking how you start it. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, no, because the, the, literally I'll be like, hey, like, how's hey, it going? Hey, I'm Raj. Yeah. This is what I do. Didn't you want to know? No, it's like, I'll, yeah, but I'll, I'll be like, hey, you know, I'm Raj. Like, what's up? Like, like who do you know here? That Something yeah, like yeah. that. And who do you know when, here? Once, it gets to, once you get past right? those, like, standard pleasantries. I'm telling you, gonna... Jeff, go with the, like, complimenting something someone's wearing. Like, those are great shoes. And then it just goes from there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam, you should the one that gets the comment or great oh, shoes. Oh, there you yeah. go. Well, All then right, then so we can start with... You don't even have to do with... anything. Then someone's just yeah. starting to talk to you. But yeah, I, I just say, this is where my... This is where, I guess, you know, if, if someone were to say, you know, I'd be the person off the side that somebody said, wow, that guy's an introvert. Like, mm-hmm. and it's so weird because... You know, then when I tell people I'm a professional speaker, they, you know, it's just, it's an odd thing, right? Because when I'm, as a professional speaker, people are like, there's no way you're shy. But then, you know, I could meet you at a party and I'm, I'm so withdrawn. I, I truly have no idea what to do. Like, I just a, don't about, know. I don't have the skills. What about once the conversation gets started? Then I, then you see, I mean, you seem very easy to, to chat yeah. with and converse Drinks with. help. Got it. A couple <laughs> drinks help. Definitely. But yeah. I just feel like I could be really awkward in the beginning. Like I, it's, it's, it's not having a, a jumping board to start with. Like I don't know how to start the conversation. So maybe it's just learned skills, but I have to say, I mean, it, and it just kind of caves in and, and it is interesting though, because it, it's in that kind of party atmosphere where, you know, I'm, I'm 53 years old. Right. And I could stand there sometimes I can suddenly feel like that 15 year old again. Mm. You know, it was like, wow, I remember feeling this way when I was awkward or, you know, when, you know, uh, they're picking people for the baseball team and, you know, you haven't been chosen yet. And the lo- the choices are getting fewer and fewer. And you haven't <laughs> been chosen. And, you know, it's and I've used that before for myself, too. It's like as a reality check, like what age do I feel right now? Mm. You know, when you when you find yourself in a, some kind of an awkward situation, you kind of like, well, what age do I feel right now? And hey, sometimes it's great to feel a lot younger than we are. But it's also in a case like that, it like taps on. It's like, God, this is so ridiculous. Like, I know who I am at this point in my life. Why is this tapping into such old, you know, feelings of of insecurity and, and introversion? Um, yeah, maybe it's just skills. You know, you guys have certain skills. I, I actually have walked away. And then what happens, I, you, you seem to – introversion and shyness is a tough thing because I've also had people interpret me as being a snob. Mm. You know, I've had people after the fact, like when they – maybe I, I got to – maybe I, I – right? I've met them through – what do you mean you can see that? You can see no, that. I mean, no, no, not for you specifically. I mean I can see that people would be like, oh, that person's quiet. Like they don't want to talk yeah. to me or they're too good or something. I can see how right. – 
it, yeah. it's a really fine line between introversion shyness and being interpreted as being a snob and it's usually come up like when i've i've gotten to know a friend of a friend and once they got to know me they're like man you're really cool you're really nice i have to say the first time i saw you at that party i thought you were a snob you know, and you realize like, wow, with withdrawn nature, you know, if you seem withdrawn, if you seem shy, people can interpret that in another, a whole other way too. I, you know, I've walked, I actually walked away from a situation. I was at a, at a function and I was so uncomfortable. I called up a friend of mine who knows me really well. And, you know, but again, it was also, it was a very social environment and, and I wasn't getting hit on. So let's, you know, let's, let's get right to the point here. Like nobody was hitting on me. So, and it was a very, it was the type of environment where you should have been getting hit on. And, um, so I called up a friend of mine. I'm like, you know, do I just have a shield around me? Like, then you start questioning, is my uncomfortableness and my introversion, is it like creating a shield or other people interpreting it in some other way? Either that, like I said, either you're a snob or you're there, but you don't really want to be approached. In your mind, you could be saying, I want to be approached, but somehow giving off a whole different energy like you you don't want to be approached. I, you know, because my friends think it's super approachable. Yeah. I do think that there is like definitely, and I don't know if it's like a chemical thing or what it is, but I do think certain people give off a like, I'm approachable, come talk to me vibe more than others and not necessarily purposefully. I think that just sometimes is the case. And I, yeah, I've seen that I, in friend groups where I'm like, why is this person always get approached and not that, you know, when, when like as a friend, I don't see a visible difference, but I think sometimes yeah. there is one. Yeah, I was just out with a whole group of people. You know, one friend invited me to a Fourth of July, and that led to meeting other friends of his. And you know, one guy said to me, he said, um, you know, he he was curious as to why I wasn't out dancing with you know. There's a whole party going on. We're out outside of a terrace. It's like the whole bunch of people. It's like, why aren't you in there? You know, getting phone numbers, something like that. And I said, well, first of all, I'm enjoying my conversation with you and you know the people that are here. Um, he said, well, you're you know, he's just you're. He's, you're clearly a successful guy and, you know, he complimented me on other ways, you know, my looks or whatever. And I was like, you know, why aren't you in there? And what struck me really interesting, and I said to him, I said, how do you know I'm successful? Like I'm there in shorts and it was a casual environment. I was like, how do you know I'm successful? Like oh, you just give off that vibe, <laughs> you know, and it just starts making you wonder. It's like, well, there was nothing about my appearance. I wasn't wearing expensive clothes. There was nothing about my appearance that I felt would give off this successful vibe, which may or may not seem appealing to people. And, you know, and I perfect, you know, one thing I would say, and I know I've had to deal with this before too, is that I am a buttoned down guy. Um, I have a high standard, you know, perfectionism and this, this goes into business and marketing. I mean, I just had a conversation with a bunch of my coaching clients recently about, uh, how perfectionism because so often us creatives, we're trying for per perfectionism, but perfectionism is not very approachable. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. You know, it, it can create a huge wall. And I do think that can be a thing for me. Like, I think there's a way in which I, I, you know, come across maybe a little bit more buttoned down and somehow that gives off a vibe of a certain standard that people might think, well, you know, I'm not of his standard or something. I don't know. I haven't quite figured it out. But it, to the point we were making earlier, it's like, very comfortable on a stage. It, um, it's at a prepared environment. I'm not uncomfortable in, you know, as a podcast host, you know, I go into my interviews with some idea of the conversation, but they're not scripted. So I don't have to, I'm not comfortable just in a scripted 
atmosphere such as a keynote would be. Um, but then again, a keynote isn't that scripted either. If you know your material really well, you actually throw out the script so it seems more authentic. Um, so I'm not uncomfortable in But those are planned. But even, even if what you're saying isn't right. planned, there's still planned events that you know, like I'm going to be speaking for X amount of time on a certain subject. People are going to be looking at me or they're going to be hearing my voice on a recording. Like they're still very planned. They're not like suddenly just being at a party and needing to approach people. So I think those are those those things are all in a similar vein. Yeah. You know, as we're unpacking this, I just thought of something I've never thought about before. I think a lot of it has to do with whether you feel like you're being seen. Mm. You know, it, it, which is that's that's the ultimate paradox. Like a, an introvert often pulls back and yet wants to be seen. Right. And I think that's a big part of it. I, 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 boy, we should do a poll on this. I think most <laughs> introverts deep down actually want to be seen. I think they may be introverts because they feel like they haven't been seen. And that's the advantage of being on stage. When you're on stage, you're being seen. And that is oddly comfortable. Hmm. Whereas where I collapse at a party is when you feel like there's, I don't know, your head almost gets into a fog because you feel like you're looking at everything going on around you, but it's like nobody's seeing me. And that gets really uncomfortable because then you feel like you're being, okay, this is going to sound really twisted, but you start to feel like you're being seen as the person that nobody's seeing. Hmm. It's Does like, mag no, no, I get it. Like it's magnified <laughs> in your eyes yeah. probably. Right. Like we yeah, all, I mean, you're we feeling all like you're not that. being, yeah, you feel like everybody else at that party is seeing you not being seen. Like everybody else is looking at you. It's like, oh, look at that guy. Nobody's even noticing that he's there. But really, probably everyone's thinking that in their head, and no one's actually paying attention to anyone else. <laughs> well, everyone's on their phones. Let's yeah, be real. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's it's like I said. I don't think it's, it's not black and white. That's for sure. Well, I think you know it, it goes back to that. You know, on the stage, you've got that element of control, and I would say even as part of that too, it's. I, I think early on you said it's like you're, you're with people, but you're you're almost like alone if you're on stage, and that's comforting. And I, and I think a lot of that is created by the fact that like there's essentially this wall between you and the audience and you get to stay on your side of that wall. Obviously, there's like Q&A and stuff. There might be there, but like it's it, mm -hmm. it, 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 there's a structure to it and a format. Whereas in the group atmosphere, party type networking setting, whatever that might be, there's no wall and there's no rules. The only yeah. rules that have been agreed upon is that anything like everyone talking to anyone is fair game. And that, I would imagine, for an introvert, is a scary thing. Yeah. So I know, like, the topic being stage fright. So it sounds like in the sort of classic form of the way we think of stage fright, maybe you don't experience that so much, Jeff. Literally being on a stage doesn't give you anxiety or whatever those feelings are. It's more a stage fright uh, in in sort of a different way, like in a, in a, in a social less planned kind of way well i'll tell you a funny story about stage fright so this is, this is so ridiculous so before i even gave my very first presentation of any kind you know so i, I was inspired to i was actually inspired to do some public speaking professional speaking by a poem uh, the poem our deepest fear by marianne williamson do you know the poem do not oh it's one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written so it's our deepest fear by marianne williamson and uh i if i really if i pause i could probably recite the whole thing but i, I won't be able to off the top of my head but there's the point of the poem our deepest fear the point of the poem is that our deepest fear is not our shadow or the shadow side of ourselves it's our light like we're more afraid of shining and there's a line in that poem that says 
you're playing it small isn't serving the world. And that poem was read to me when I was in coach training. And here I was learning to become a coach because I wanted to serve. I wanted to help other entrepreneurs in business. And, and that poem, that line was read and I realized, man, my shyness is really self-centered, right? I'd never thought about shyness that way. And it's suddenly like you're playing it small, isn't serving the world. It's like, this is just my playing it small. My being this, playing this shy game isn't going to enable to me to really help the world. So it completely inspired me to take on stages and yet I had never done it. So I had this bright idea that I should uh, hire someone to do NLP. Are you familiar with NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming? So NLP is kind of a way of reprogramming your brain in a way. And it has a very specific process. And the process is, first of all, you visualize an area of your body. Uh, you know, it might be like my case, I kind of focused on my belly. And I think the facilitator told me to concentrate like on a red ball on my belly. So you have something to focus on. And she asked me to, she says, so tell me, a story about when you had stage fright and the the process of NLP what they often will do is they take one situation and then they you kind of recite it in your head in your brain because this is scientifically proven this is literally scientifically rewiring your brain so you you replay that event and then you keep increasing the speed of that event until it gets to the point it's like Laurel and Hardy it's like going at this super ridiculous fast pace ultimately almost everybody ends up laughing from what I understand because it just it, which is the point it's like you've rewired wired your brain to see this event not something traumatic but something that there's almost humor to it so she asks me to recreate this event when I had stage fright and I said I don't have one She says, what do you mean you don't have one I said I've never spoken in front of people she goes, then why are you here? Like, why are you getting help for stage fright? <laughs> and I said, you know, I was like, that was, that actually probably did more work than anything. I'm like, I don't know. Like I had just completely assumed that I would have stage fright. <laughs> and that, you know, we, we had to make up a situation where, you know, something would feel similar to that because I had never had stage fright. And that was, the, but that was actually, the work was almost done. I'm like, God, I just totally made this up that I was going to have stage fright. And yet I had never even done it. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot kind of, I, guess, I think what, what that's shedding light on is no pun intended. Cause you made the, the shared light, <laughs> not the darkness comment earlier. Uh, is I, there's I think I said this on a previous episode, but there's a tweet I sent out at some point over the last few months where I said the most important story is the one between your ears, and someone retweeted that because they liked it. <laughs> but yeah. I think she listens to this show at <laughs> Chasing JLB or whatever her Twitter name is. <laughs> I remember those things. Anyways, my point is that um, that's. I mean, you weren't even, you hadn't even been on a stage yet, but you had already created the inner monologue that you're going to be scared of this thing. The story. Yeah. Right. The story mind. you told yourself was that you're going to be scared. And that's yeah. why, that's why I say like, that's the most powerful story more than anything else, because that's what's going to lead your decision making ultimately. And that's, what's going to help you or cripple you. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I was just I just came back from um, Influence, which is the annual convention for the National Speakers Association. Uh, just came back last week from that. And there was a speaker there, Kendra Hall, who is a masterful storyteller. I mean, this is her thing. She 
teaches you how to tell good stories and she's of course incredible at it and she gave a really good keynote uh, with some really good takeaways as to how you could learn to craft a story better but she did such a great job at the end of her presentation saying it but at the end of the day the most important story is a story you're telling yourself right it you know it just is so powerful the way she brought it together because it's absolutely true it's like you know how effective you are at storytelling as a professional professional speaker and you know and I was sitting there thinking you know I was very aware actually of the story I was telling myself like I'm at a I'm at a kind of a breaking or I'm not breaking but more of a precipice in my my own speaking career because I've been a well-known speaker in the photo industry for years and uh because of the podcast and other activities I'm, I'm branching out into much broader areas I'm I'm receiving a lot of training to be a better speaker I'm writing my first book will be out at the end of this year, which will hopefully ignite a whole new platform. So I'm speaking to much broader audiences, not just the photo industry anymore, but you know, entrepreneurs and a much broader marketing and branding audience. And, you know, I'm sitting there listening to her presentation and the story was already playing in my head about, you know, am I good enough? Am I going to be, you know, what stages will I be on? Could I be where she is a year from now? Like, could I be a keynoter at the national speakers association event? Right. And when she brought that out, it's like, wow, that, that inner dialogue was just already going very strong. So at the end of the day, you know, the most important story we tell is the story we're telling ourselves. Let's pause for a hot minute for this quick PSA. Are you part of the startup community? If so, keep listening. If not, go ahead and hit the skip ahead button because this is not going to apply to you. The Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast is a property of Raj Nation Innovation. What is Raj Nation Innovation? Well, it's simple. I talk to founders and startup teams every day who flat out tell me, hey, we suck at telling our story. I help remove the suck, combining a unique background of both branding expertise as well as songwriting expertise from my experience as a hip hop artist, I take a performance lens and mindset to the world of business communication. Using this approach, I partner with growth-focused startups to help them develop their story, their go-to-market message, and their pitch so they can raise venture capital and acquire their early customers. Think of me like the Will Smith character Hitch, but for startups. And yes, I will tell you when you're dancing like an idiot. Does this sound like a conversation we should have? If so, head to www.rajnationinnovation.com. That's R-A-J Nation Innovation.com. Send me a message through there, and let's chat. Back now to the podcast. Well, and then that obviously influences the story that you tell other people because you're going to, you know, whether it's directly or an indirect way or unintended way, you'll let that, like whatever you're telling yourself is what's going to come out to other people. And actually, now that I think about that, to bring it back to the being at the, you know, in the party environment and not feeling comfortable and you're like, am I giving off a bad vibe? Maybe that's what's happening is the yeah. story you're telling yourself is I'm not comfortable here. Therefore, people mm. are getting the sense that this person seems like an uncomfortable person. I don't want to talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I you know, tell you, just having this conversation today is making me feel like I'm going to I have to really commit to letting go of the old. I can still, you know, if if in a lot of contexts, if, if somebody asks me, I'll, I'll somehow still identify as an introvert. Like I'll still say that story. You know, my my mom turns 80 this year and, um, you know, our parents get to an age where I, I question whether she even pays attention to a lot of that's coming out of her mouth. Like, <laughs> you know, whether it's her political views or I'm like, I'm not sure she even believes that anymore. <laughs> She's just so used to saying it, right? you know. 
so it's that repetitive language. And I think that's, you know, I can get, we can all get caught up in this, this habit of repetitive language. And I think, you know, I'm an introvert can so easily come out, but it's not really the story. And I agree with you. I think if that's the story you're, that's going on between your ears, that's the story that people are feeling. And, you know, one thing I've, I've come to know of myself for better or worse is that I'm a powerful creator. You know, and I actually um, had somebody come and do some energy work actually around around this this energy block. I, I suffer occasionally from um, vertigo. And when I get vertigo, it's really bad. Like it'll last for like a month. And I try to make the best of it. I always say, well, it's like living on a cruise ship for a month. <laughs> Everything's just squishy. Right? Yeah. Everything's just squishy and moving. And um, but it's it can be tough. And and fortunately, you know, one thing I have found that that aids with it is acupuncture. So I will go through a series of acupuncture. But I have an amazing acupuncturist in New York City, that. Um, you know, when trying to get to the roots, like what's causing the vertigo, my Western doctor thinks it's an allergy that they just haven't figured out yet. Like there's something I'm allergic to because it's somewhat seasonal. If it's going to happen, it seems to happen in the spring. So he thinks he's thinking it's an, an allergy. My acupuncture is like, no, you have an energy block in your chest. And he goes, and, and you know, he goes, there's something going on in your chest. Maybe it's the time of year when uh, you're holding more stress or, you know, earlier part of the year, spring, maybe you're preparing for the big things you're going to do that year, but you're trapping this energy in your chest. Therefore, everything above that is getting lightheaded. Um, I tend to believe my acupuncturist just because, you know, he's so skilled and he's also the only one that's ever been able to solve the vertigo problem. So. Ironically, it's kind of so I mentioned earlier that I had I had left this social situation one day and called a friend of mine and said, do I just give off a block? Like, how come nobody's trying to hit on me? <laughs> and, um, you know, so I left that. And I went to a restaurant I ran at, that, at this restaurant. I ran into a friend here in Miami Beach that I rarely see. And she had just come from a Reiki class. So we got talking about energy and she points to a waiter who says, oh, that guy, that waiter over there does really good energy block removal. You know, you should go see him. And I, so I, I walked over to this waiter and introduced myself and, um, and he looks at me and goes, so how are you feeling right now? And I said, well, uh, you know, I, I think I'm feeling okay. He says, you have a massive block in your chest. <laughs> I was like, all right, you gotta be kidding me. Like I'm just meeting this guy. Wow. So, um, yeah, so we wound up, you know, he came over and he did some, you know, energy work and tried to, you know, unblock this air in the chest. And I didn't feel any significant difference. So when he followed up a couple of days later, he's like, well, how did, you know, did it work? Did it shift? And I said, you know, I didn't really feel anything significant. I said, but here's what, here's what I've come to know. I said that as, as powerful as I've learned that I am as a manifester or making things happen for myself, I've also understood my energy can be stubborn. I said, so I would find it pretty remarkable that you actually would have been able to unblock if you saw a block in one session. This is probably going to need repeated sessions. And I need to follow up. This is all pretty recent. But, <laughs> I'm going to need you know, a little extra work. <laughs> but to, to your point, it's like, you know, maybe I'm more, maybe I'm, I'm giving off a more negative vibe at these parties that, that introvert vibe. Maybe I'm giving it off more strongly than I even realize, which, you know, kudos for being powerful. It just doesn't always, power doesn't always work in our favor, I guess. Well, and I think there's a lot to be said. Like, I think you've, I'm sure on the flip side, you've also felt too, because I know I have, like when things are going well, like more things seem to go well, but then when things are going bad, everything seems to like collapse and be shitty. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, I think has to do with like, you know, the energy you're giving off, the vibe you're giving off. Maybe it's a more friendly nature than not when things are going well. And it's a little bit less friendly when things aren't going well. So I think it's, um, it, it's, it, I think it can become that self 
feeding cycle where mm-hmm. you're like, okay, well, uh, I'm not comfortable here. Therefore, I'm going to act like I'm not comfortable. And then you're like, well, I'm not acting comfortable, so I must not be comfortable. So why don't I continue to act uncomfortable? But I must not feel, <laughs> why don't I feel comfortable, <laughs> right? Notice. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is why it said it feels like a collapsing. But can I can I give you a, a tip or an idea? Because I love this so much about yeah. the, the, what you're saying, like creating, you know, when things are going well, more things go well. Yeah. So here's my my practice. This is a morning practice for me. I And I've shared this with my own my own audience, and, and it's really kind of caught on. People like it. But I do what's called what I call a what's going right journal. And it's been the most helpful thing to me. It's different than a gratitude journal. I mean, gratitude journals are great and it works. I, I, I personally, gratitude, gratitude journals have never really worked for me. I think partly because you wake up, I'm just grateful to be alive and breathing and the sky is blue, right? I mean, there's a lot to be grateful for. It's just a little too, there's too many things to be grateful for. And it wasn't uh, specific enough for me and didn't actually create a tangible result. And at the end of the day, you know, I can, I can be as woo woo as the next guy. But at the end of the day, I really like results. <laughs> like I'm a really yeah. hard worker. <laughs> you know, I can I can get down there and kumbaya and talk soul. And I love that too. But at the end of the day, I'm a really hard worker. I like results. I like action. So I don't like to spend a lot of my time doing things that are feel good that I don't get results from. And that's kind of the way I feel about gratitude. Although I know it works for Extremely well for a lot of other people. I just needed something more actionable, so I started. Me too. Me too. Right. Right. I'm like, you know, I've been doing gratitude thing for a while, and I'm like, yeah, but like, of course, like, I'm gonna. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe if you're like really specific about it, but that I found hard to be. Yeah, I wanted more results, so I started this "What's Going Right" journal, where I would. You know, and I, I have kind of a two-step process. I get up in the morning, I have I, I make a masala chai tea, and then I start I try to come up with some of my things that are going right. And it's actually challenging. Like I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with things that are going right. But then I, I walk my dogs for 45 minutes on the beach, and it's during that walk, I'm like, oh well, that's going right. And oh man, I forgot about that. Like that was awesome. Like, oh yeah, I just got that new client, and oh man, I landed this awesome podcast interview. So then I come back. And sometimes I'll capture it on in an Evernote while I'm walking so I don't forget it. But I, I do like put hand to paper. So I'll come back and I'll write it out in the journal. And that has had the most positive results for me. And I really do feel like it's a, it creates flow. You know, it kind of goes to the nature of you get more of what you what you focus on. And it's it's just it's it's more specific than gratitude. And I just find that has been a fantastic tool for me. And I've shared it with others to kind of just to create that flow and to start noticing. It's like, wow, a lot's going right. You know, and just trying. just yeah, focus on that. It's a flow, like it's a flow creator. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I'm gonna have to try that. I want to spend a few minutes on um, kind of just going over like tactically, you know, as an experienced uh, public speaker, Jeff. What mm-hmm. are some of the things you've done to you know ensure a talk's gonna go well? You know, to to knock down the stage fright, all that kind of stuff. Like, what are what are some of the some of the tips or advice you have around that? So for one, receive training. I work with Michael Port and uh, Michael and Amy Port, uh, who are just, you know, unbelievable trainers for speaking. So I, I receive a lot of training. Um, I'm also a huge believer in their, their principle as well, that get to know your material so well that you can let it go. Michael's a former actor. All right. So and he was saying your best performances are by actors who know their part and their role and their script so well that they can let it go. Um, and I know I've worked directly with Amy and she'll say to me, you know, she'll say, it looks like you're trying to remember what you're saying instead of knowing what you're saying. 
And that's such a difference, right? The audience can feel that, like you're trying to remember what you're saying instead of knowing what you're saying. So I'm a big fan of just really being prepared. Another, you know, so another, I'll share a few other things. One would be, like I said earlier, really just understanding where the spotlight is. Like if I worry about myself, it's not going to go well. I, I have to let that go. I have to reverse the spotlight and say, I may be the person on stage, but the people in the spotlight is the audience. And if I fall off the stage, I'm going to keep on going. The sound goes out and all that happens at some point. Somebody said to me recently, you know, you, you've done so much speaking that you must not get nervous anymore. I'm like, hell no. It's the other way around. The more, the more you do it, the more you realize what can go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you have more things that you realize, oh, I didn't even, I didn't even think about the fact that, you know, a seagull would get into the building. Like I didn't even, you know, <laughs> whoever thought that. Well, I guess you know, in Miami, seagull, yeah. <laughs> right. would be flying in the room with you, you know. Um, so it's, it's, you know, where you're pointing the spotlight. And then the last thing, and I think this is really important and I'm so grateful. I don't remember who pointed this out to me, but I think this is probably true of most speakers is to understand there's a biological thing going on here. So what happens before you walk on stage, even if it's, for, you know, all excitement, you're pumped, you know, and I get myself pumped up. I, I listen to really good music. Um, I always wear, and boy, you guys must be really pulling something out of me because I don't I never share this publicly, but I always. <laughs> I am always wearing the the coolest pair of underwear that I can imagine. Like it's just like yes, <laughs> yes, you know, because right, because only I know that, right? Yes. Except now everybody's listening to the show, <laughs> you know. But that you know, so there's something there's something going on there that's a little special. I I have. I have socks that have inspirational words on them. Um, like my favorite pair says fear down one leg and less on the other leg. So it's like fearless. <laughs> yeah. So I've got myself all pumped up, right? So we're all pumped up before we go on stage. What I've had to learn is that biologically, seven minutes, it's almost exactly seven minutes when I'm on stage. I've gotten very comfortable on the stage, but my body is flooded with adrenaline. Mm. So biologically, my body's trying to figure out what to do with all this adrenaline. and so I'm, I'm left in this situation seven minutes in where I'm just getting into my groove, but suddenly my body is breaking out into sweats. My, my palm and then my part of my brain is thinking, okay, is this when I pass out? Like what's going on here? Oh my God, I'm freaking out. And yet the logical part of my brain is saying, no, that's just your body processing the adrenaline. And I'm so grateful somebody explained that to me because that has always, I always try to figure out how do I get past that? So I always know the first 10 minutes of my presentations, like aced like an ace the first 10 minutes with no doubt so that i can work through the seven minute adrenaline mark and then get past it and it is absolutely predictable for me and i think for a lot of speakers i've heard other speakers say the same it just might be a different timeline but at some point you've gotten yourself all pumped up once you get out there and you're settled it's like your body has to process that adrenaline somehow and how it's processing it can seem like you're nervous but your brain is thinking but i'm not i'm actually having fun now and it's just knowing that's going to happen has helped me a lot. That reminds me of something that we talked about during Raj and I did yoga teacher training together, by the way, Jeff. And so we we're both yoga teachers. But remember, I, like I remember before we all taught our first class, the other teachers and people that were leading it would, you know, would say things like, like, you might not see the audience the whole time, or, you know, it might take you 10 minutes to like see the audience and suddenly feel like you're actually there. And, and you kind of notice that like in different class, I mean, I still notice it. Like, you know, for the most part now I've taught a lot of classes, I'm doing it pretty much full time that like, I'm pretty much there when, when I get there. But every once in a while, you know, I'm a little nervous. I'm teaching to someone who's a really good, great teacher or someone who's a role model to me. And I notice that the first, you know, yeah, five, 10, whatever it is, minutes of class, like I'm nervous. I'm, I'm, 
I'm not totally sure. I, I'm feeling a little, you know, unconfident or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And I can feel those nerves. And then you sort of hit a point and, okay, then you see the people and you kind of get it and you start to get into into the groove of it. But I think that's probably what it is. Yeah. Like when you're, you know, that adrenaline hits. Yeah. Yeah, your body has to process the adrenaline somehow, and you've done all this work to get yourself pumped up, and, and your body has to process it somehow. It's like it's like you know exercising right before trying to go to sleep. Like yeah. your body's not in alignment with right. what you want to do at that moment. Right. <laughs> and yeah, and it's bringing your body back into alignment. It's actually you know it's it's very similar to panic attacks. I mean that's kind of the root yeah. of panic attacks. Panic attacks is kind of a very physical detached atta- separation from how you're feeling in that moment because most people that suffer from panic attacks, it happens when they're calm. And they're like, which is why you then panic. You're like, this must be a heart attack because I have no reason to be nervous now. And yet my body is feeling that way. It's a detachment from the body from, you know, how you're emotionally feeling in that moment. I'm laughing because I actually had my first and knock on wood only ever panic attack like four or five months ago. And yeah, I went to the ER thinking I was having a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, 28. Right. And it, it happened in the middle of the night. I was sleeping and I woke up right. in it. And it makes no <laughs> yeah. sense, which is why no. you panic about it. You're like, right. this must be the heart attack yeah. because I'm sleeping. Yes. But that's, yeah, it's actually very physical. It's your body is pro- trying to get back into balance with the state of your mind. Yeah. And it, I think it's just really important for speakers to know uh, or any pumped up situation that that's, that's good. There's going to be a time when your body's going to try to balance, uh, and it's going to come just when you settled in. Yeah. A few things to piggyback off of these points. So first off, Jeff, on the underwear point, I'm right there with you. Uh, anytime, <laughs> right, I'm, good. <laughs> anytime I'm doing something like important in front of people, I'm wearing a pair of underwear I really like, and generally it matches everything else that I'm wearing. He's a, Raj is a very color coordinated person, so yes. all of his clothes and accessories always match. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, you probably. Do oh yeah, down underwear. to the underwear too. <laughs> hey, as I always say, as the great philosopher Ludacris once said, "Our time and our clothes got to coordinate." <laughs> but our time and our clothes got to coordinate. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I get a ton of like extra confidence knowing like that I'm wearing like the right pair of underwear. Uh, the next thing I'll I say, agree. yeah, right. Like it's, it's why not? <laughs> uh, and then also too on the the um, the the preparation point. So literally, like this talk I was giving this morning to a room of of startup founders, which was around you know the topic I was talking on was was pitching your startup and story startup storytelling and all that. And what I was had told them was like, I can't stress how much you can over prepare for going into an investor pitch or going into a pitch competition. Um, Three years ago, I did a TED talk. And by the time I hit the stage, I had already practiced it probably a hundred times, if not like in my own living room, at least like while I was walking somewhere, going through it in my head to the point where I knew when I got on stage exactly what I was going to say. But also not only did I know like the script, I knew the flow of the story. So there's a part somewhere in the talk like if you watch the video of it i i might be the only one who can actually tell that it happens because i knew i know that it happened but but there's a part i think it's around like nine or so minutes in where i actually like forgot what i was supposed to say next for like in my head what felt like five seconds but in reality probably was like half a second but i was able to come back and and pick up easily so nine minutes in that must be your adrenaline <laughs> that's your number there you go yeah <laughs> But I was able to like, you know, even though it was only that like blip of like forgetting what to say next, what I did was I just, I, in my head, I like picked up, I was like, okay, where have I gotten them so far? What, where am I supposed to get them next? And then that's how I picked back up right where I, you know, I thought I mentally fumbled. So it's not only just knowing yeah. the words, it's, it's like you said, it's know the story to the point where you are comfortable ditching the story. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think Michael Port would say, I mean, he's so great at teaching. Like if you, you, you get to that point, you forget your next line because that's actually an opportunity for the most dramatic pause. Like it can really captivate an audience because you just suddenly have stopped yeah. and you're just like making eye contact with them. And it really builds. Meanwhile, your brain's trying to catch up like, OK, where am I going next? What was the next thing I was supposed to say? But it, to them, it's feeling like a really dramatic pause. The other thing, too, that I always try to do is I will look at. So in the first few minutes, I will I will visually with my eyes, I will seek out who is the person who's nodding along the most so far. Mm-hmm. Like, who's really into this? Yep. And the rest of my presentation, I'm like, I'm only trying to, to make it the best possible presentation for that person. Because, and it's like, if that you do, like then everyone is going to have a really good experience versus if I'm trying to divide out, okay, well, this person's nodding, this person's looking at their phone, that person seems kind of interested. It's going to be like a completely like diluted experience. Whereas it's like, all right, who's really on board with this? Because if I can make it fucking amazing for them, it's probably going to be at yeah. worst good for everyone else, pretty good for like most everyone else. And then for that one person, Well, and it's amazing. like one less thing for you to worry about. Like, am I entertaining all these other people as opposed to just like, I'm t- this person's clearly really interested. Like you're having a conversation. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. you're looking for your nodders. But yeah, the other thing I've noticed though is I, I don't freak out about people looking down at their phones. I used to think that... I was boring and people were, you know, texting and instead of listening to me, but I, I finally realized that they're taking notes, <laughs> you know, and so do I. I mean, I, I take all notes and I'm in a, a presentation. I'm taking notes on my phone. So I realized I don't I don't let that panic me anymore because a lot of people have their head down. And, you know, honestly, I'm a, I'm a creative mind. It's like I don't mind if they're texting, too, because I don't think I could sit there and listen to somebody for more than 20 <laughs> minutes without shooting off a few texts. It just doesn't work with my brain. I, I, I have to chase squirrels. So I don't take it personal. And But for the most part, people that have their head down, often they're, um, you know, they're, they're taking notes. I don't let that freak me out either. But, yeah, definitely looking for the nodders. Those are the people that, that carry you through. Yeah. It's interesting because like I said, I'm not like, I'm pretty much an extrovert. Like I feel very comfortable, you know, like speaking to people in new situations and all that. Although what I will say is I kind of made this like career change, um, last year in the fall where I left my corporate job and I teach yoga full time and I started this blog and I'm doing the podcast. And so I do definitely notice now in social social situations when it gets to the point where everyone's like, what do you do? What do you do? I dread when it's coming to me because I don't yet feel super confident in like, I, uh, Jeff, for a little background, like I studied engineering in college. I worked in supply chain for PepsiCo. Like I, I, I had like this pretty, you know, down On paper impressive. Well, yeah, yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I had this pretty set. Like, thanks. You're saying not, <laughs> not on no, paper. No, well, I'm saying like impressive. it's a traditionally like wow. Yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. Yeah. And it you was knew like what a to very say. Easy right. thing to yeah. speak to people knew what it was, and now people are like, "What do you do?" And at first, I say I'm a yoga instructor, but then I feel like that's not all I do. And I want to like explain that there's more, but I, I haven't like figured out exactly how to, how to say it the best one, the best way to just actually put it together and say it. So Raj, maybe, <laughs> but then, yeah. and then the other thing is too, just saying it with a certain amount of confidence. Like I used to be super confident in what I was doing. I felt not that I don't feel good about what I'm doing now, but I just am not to the point yet where I, where I feel like I can say it with the same kind of confidence. And so that is one situation where right now in social settings, I definitely feel nervous when it comes to that conversation because I feel like people are going to be 
let down or confused or I don't know. So I I I just started. I was just well, thinking you're, about you're that. carrying. Yeah, it's just really just a matter of being a teacher, yeah. which is yeah. like it has its own stigma too. It, it's yeah. You've come off right. Of, and it's it's being prepared for it. Like, yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> like, you know. Well, as I say, it's being prepared for it too, because like I'm writing my first book now. When I tell people, oh, I'm writing my first book, people are like, well, what's your book about? You know, and and and, and I still stumble through it a little bit, but I've gotten better at it. But in the beginning, it was like, oh, I don't even know how to explain because I hadn't taken the time to actually develop that answer ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you That's can just, right. now that you've transitioned, you're in a new, you're do, doing something new, just like we were saying, like rehearse it, figure yeah. out what it is so that then in the future you actually can say it in an unrehearsed manner. Right. Yeah. Cause I always feel like I have to give the backstory, like, but I used yeah. to do this, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, it's a little insecure there, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is, yeah, it's like your own, like need to justify your own, your decisions. Exactly. When yeah. who knows if they even need the justification or exactly. if they're like, Oh, yoga's interesting. I've heard a lot about that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. spend a few minutes talking, Jeff, kind of more about your background and the things you're involved in. So, um, you know, at surface level, you're a coach, you're a speaker, you have your Creative Warriors podcast. But for our listeners, why is it why is it more than just being a coach and a speaker and a, and a podcast host? You know, actually, sound like you said podcast ghost. I, I, think, I think I, 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 I like that term. I think I said a podcast yeah, host. I think podcast, I said that. podcast ghost. I like that. Very <laughs> <laughs> be a very quiet show, but um, <laughs> so for me, it's you know. At the end of the day, it's all about people not being in a box. I mean, if I get underneath everything, that's what's really meaningful to me. You know, I, right after I decided to, to write my book and I was describing, because I was in a, in a mastermind, and I was describing what the book was about. Some one of the other members of the mastermind said, "Well, what gives you the authority to write on this?" And the book—it's a business book. It's a marketing and branding and. Um, but it, boy, what a powerful question. Like what, and I actually immediately talk about the stories who stand in her head. I, I kind of immediately got a little panic thinking, you know, she's probably right. I have no right to write this book. I don't have a college education. I went to photography school. I didn't go to any higher education. What does give me the authority? I don't have any letters behind my name, blah, blah, blah. And, but you know, I paused for a moment, but then I, I had the answer and I realized how profoundly true it was for me and how much it related to all the other things I do. And it was, and I said back to her, I said, I've lived life on the opposite sides of many fences. And what that has enabled me to do is to have a very, I can, I can offer up a lot of different perspectives. You know, I mean, I was, I suffered terribly from shyness, but ended up standing on stages. I grew up lower middle class at best. And as a photographer, ended up photographing the wealthiest people in our country. I, you know, I, I was married, raised three kids, lived a straight life until the age of 45, and then came out as a gay man. Um, I've lived life on both sides of many fences, and it does afford you a very interesting perspective. And what it, I think what the, the innate skill it gave me is empathy. And at the end of the day, as a business coach and how I help people build their businesses, empathy is, is, is my, my key because what I do is I'm able to – the book I'm writing is called Lingo. And it's about – it's a marketing and branding book about developing this and understanding the secret language of the audience you want to reach. What I'm particularly skilled at is when my clients hire me to coach their, them or their business, I will tell them, look, I know you've hired me, but I'm kind of skipping over you. What's really important here is that I take on the role of your ideal customer who you want to speak the secret language of. And I can tell you what I need to see, hear, and feel in order for me to be convinced to hire you. 
And that takes a tremendous amount of empathy. I actually feel like I can take, remember the, that movie ghost when there was a scene where like, uh, the character like slipped into Whoopi Goldberg's body. <laughs> I, oh, I kind of feel yeah, that way yeah. sometimes. Right? No, I, I kind of feel that way. It's like, yeah, let me slip into the body of the person who would hire my client and give them feedback like this is what i need to see hear and feel from you like this is what your branding needs to look like these are what i call the, these are the what i call the self identifying questions like i need in your marketing for you to ask me questions that feel like they're the conversations that are already in my head because then i feel like oh man you get me right and that's at the end of the day that's what i want i want to do business with somebody like wow this person really gets me so at the end that that's you know underneath it all is a deep commitment to people not being boxed in, uh, to entrepreneurs not being told they have to focus, to find a niche, and all the ways that we're shutting down the beautiful creative mind, uh, to, to not have people judged about who they are. Um, so yeah, underneath it all, that's, that's what I'm fighting for, is that getting people out of the box, and I'm able to do that, I believe, from because I've lived life on both sides of many fences. That's awesome. I can't believe we didn't further unpack or we just find out now in these closing moments <laughs> that you had were married with three kids living as a straight man and then came out around age 45, I think you said, uh, as gay. Yeah. Can we spend a couple minutes kind of kind of talking about that? <laughs> sure. What do you want to know? <laughs> okay. So that, that's kind of a lot right there. Well, totally. But that's an element of stage fright in itself, right? Like mm -hmm. having, to, having to do something like that. So, I mean, yeah. can you talk us through like, what was well, the process you know, and I, I was actually, and I was, yeah, and I was divorced for a number of years, so I didn't, um, it wasn't why I divorced. I had divorced, um, and, and honestly continued to date women, um, still not identifying what was going on for me. Um, you know, and I'm always very clear to help people understand cause it's such an, it's such a, if you're not, if you've not been through it, people don't understand. Like, how does that happen? How do you not know you're gay? And I get that question all the time. It's like, how could you have not have known? I was like, well, first of all, I was always surrounded by women, so I thought I was a chick magnet. Right? I had, you know, I had, I had all girlfriends in high school. I was always surrounded by women. I had, you know, and that's who I got along with best. I actually don't, I didn't get along well with men. I didn't get along with my father. I had two older brothers. I didn't get along with any of them. So that was, that's a challenge. Like, how do you, I always got along better with women. So that's who I felt I was better connected with. Um, and, you know, sure, those fear, uh, there was, you know, was the, the possibility in the back of my mind, sure. But I felt there was a different lacking that needed to be filled. I, there was not, there was a complete lacking of male love in my family. It just didn't exist. Um, so there was a lacking that I was aware of that I felt deeply that any attraction I had towards men, I felt was just to fill that gap. I didn't necessarily see it as a sexual orientation. Um, and I was very, very driven by having kids, but I, I did at the end of the day, do the classic, uh, gay man thing who doesn't identify as gay and that's get married young. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's I happening, know you know, I, I, gay man thing. <laughs> it is, I've, I've been in, I've, I was actually in a gay man's, a, a gay man's married support group oh. and, uh, you know, and that, that's a very predictable pattern. Like get married young and just make those feelings go away. And, um, so I did, I was married at 20, uh, and really, really driven to have kids. And, um, so at the time I was in 1985 getting married, um, and incredibly driven to have kids. So we shortly thereafter had kids, uh, and had three kids, raised them, did all the responsible things. Uh, and that's also who I am as a character. You know, if, when I'm given a responsibility, 
I stick with it and I stick to commitment. Um, you know, I can't say sexuality had anything to do with the marriage breaking up. It just wasn't working. Um, and so we split and I, like I said, I continued to date women. Um, you know, and then thoughts started entering my mind. Could there be another possibility here? Why am I not, while I felt relationship with women, I didn't feel passion. And it was when I really started looking at what is the nature of passion? Like, why am I not, I have passion for my work and I will fight hard for my work. But I, you know, I was in relationships with women and eh, it worked. It didn't work. Didn't really care. <laughs> you know, there was, there was a lack of passion. And I really started looking at that. Like, what's the root of passion? Why, what is it there? What's worth fighting for? And I just didn't feel like my relationships with women were worth fighting for. I didn't care if they came or went. And that brought me to really under, you know, trying to look at what was the, you know, what was the nature of passion. And I realized, yeah, what I was passionate about was men. Like I, I really, you know, then I started realizing there was a sexual attraction and, uh, you know, and feeling like I, when I got in a relationship with a man, I was, I was deeply passionate about making that work. Like I was fighting for something. Um, so, so yeah, I had, like I said, I had three kids when I came out told my kids they couldn't have cared less. Um, and, um, I feel like in a lot of ways I've had the best of both worlds, you know, again, both sides of the fence. <laughs> yeah. I, it wasn't, it's not a traditional path. It wasn't a path I set to be out on, but you know what? I, I have three awesome adult kids now. I had them young, so they're out of the house. I'm 53 <laughs> year old. I've been on my own since 50. I kind of like it. Um, and now I'm living my true authentic life and, um, yeah, so it's kind of the best of both worlds. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. Uh, real quick, can you kind of give a 30 second overview? I want our listeners to know about your podcast, Creative Warriors. Can you give a quick overview of what it's about and what you cover in the show? Yeah, it's been interesting to see this evolve too, because it started, um, you know, Creative Warriors. I was a creative person in business. So I think I felt that's who I was serving initially. But now I'm very careful to say, no, actually, the show is about people that need creative solutions in business. It's not for creatives in business. It's for people who need creative solutions, of which I think there are just more and more every day because there are so many people doing some really awesome out of the box things that they're building a business on. People are building businesses on their talent, their skill set, their wild, crazy ideas, inventions. And the problem is, is that like I have such a, I serve such a diverse audience and I have very diverse clients, but the one thing they all have in common is that whatever they're doing in the world, there's no business training for it, <laughs> right? Because, you know, there's no business training for photography or being a coach. Like that's been the story of my life. So what we try to cover on the show is uh, my sign off on the show is create, serve and be prosperous. So we do episodes that are about how to how to create, how to bring about more creativity. We do shows about serve, how to be a, a, in better service, how to serve your clients. And then prosperous, I kind of put, you know, we, we do some mindset uh, episodes, but I also put abundance in there with prosperity. So we'll do shows on well-being and how to take care of yourself. And one of our sponsors is a a subscription salt bath company, um, hmm. which I subscribe to every month. I get a kit of 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 salts that I take a bath with um, once a week on what we call self care Sundays. So it's uh, yeah, it's a show. We try to balance it out between. Uh, you know, taking care of yourself so that you can be at your creative best. And the show is about offering creative solutions for business. Right on. Cool. Where can our listeners get in touch with you or learn more about your your platforms? So, of course, Creative Warriors were on iTunes, you know, and all the other platforms. Um, my, I have a, uh, a, a Facebook group which uh, is called Creative Warriors Unite. People can find me there at joinwarriors.com. 
And then probably the thing I'm most excited about lately, uh, because I'm such a believer in mindset, and you probably know the book Thinking Grow Rich, mm-hmm. written in 1937, I think. You know, and at the end of the day, that book in 1937 is about mindset. It's about the mindset of rich people. So um, I've put together a tool of what I call the 12 must-have mindsets for uncommon entrepreneurs. You know, the entrepreneurs who are doing something different out there. And this is my observations and working with clients of the if you can change your mind and your way of thinking and, and with these 12 things, you're well on your way. So I offer up this tool and it's actually followed up with a brief video series uh, about each of the 12 mindsets. And uh, people have loved it. It's been the most successful uh, tool or their content driven thing I've ever given out. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of it because, you know, I, I've, I think a lot of us, you know, I've, I've shied away sometimes because I want to be taken serious and I want to be taken, you know, I want to be respected for the work that I do. Um, and I don't want to be accused of being too woo woo that sometimes I've shied away from this, the, the raw fact, the raw fact is that mindset has so much to do with whether you're successful or not and happy in your life. And for me, this was kind of a stepping up and you know, almost a coming out again to say, you know what? I don't care what you want to call me. I know that people need this and I'm going to put it out there anyway. So that's in your audience can grab that at musthavemindsets.com. Awesome. Let's, let's wrap up that and go one by one and give our answer to today's question. Today's question was how do you overcome stage fright? Victoria, we will start with you. I think being prepared, just knowing, knowing your topic, knowing what you plan to talk about or discuss, whether that's getting on a stage and presenting something formally or just like knowing yourself really well, knowing what you're doing and what you have to offer, um, I think makes you more comfortable to share. My answer for how do you overcome stage fright, uh, a couple things. Number one, I will say, yes, it's the preparedness aspect, 100%, but how do you, how can you become better prepared? Uh, what's really helpful is test on small stages first before you get to the big stage like no comedian when they're in front of madison square garden is that the first time they've used that joke they were testing it at small clubs you know like after midnight you know in, in their local town or whatever same thing you can start with a group of friends then you can go to a meetup group and then literally be on like an actual riser at some point in front of maybe 30 people and then so on and so forth but the 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 time where it's most important to you shouldn't be the first time you're going through it. Mm-hmm. And I would also say, yeah. Jeff, specifically in your aspect, thinking back to the uh, how do you become more comfortable at parties stuff, uh, I wonder if you'd, if you'd find it a lot more interesting and easier if you treated your interactions there as if you were hosting your show and hmm. as if they were guests on your show. Cool. That's, I, I'll take on that challenge and I'll report back. Awesome. So, <laughs> Jeff, how yeah. do you overcome stage fright? You know, I have a, I have a, a, a test I use all the time and it's, it's four simple words for the sake of know your for the sake of, you know, we, we talk a lot about know your why, know your purpose. And you know, that can almost get too profound, too deep. What I want to know is what's the, what's my for the sake of, right? If I'm doing it for the sake of, because I want to serve that audience, I want entrepreneurs. If I'm speaking to a business group, I want entrepreneurs to get out of the thoughts of traditional business that isn't working for them. I want them to to stop believing that they have to focus on one thing, right? I, I want to unleash them from that. So if I keep in mind, I'm doing this for the sake of that purpose, for the sake of that act of service, 
that's when the stage fright goes away. And you know what? You could be speaking for the sake of, uh, you know, because you want to sell something and that's okay too, but just be really clear on what you're for the sake of that gets me through anything. I like that a lot. Jeff Shaw, this was very fun. Thank you for joining us. Likewise. I'm Thanks. my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Both you both are a blast. And hey, now I, I can now I'm looking forward to the next party. Maybe I'll I'll ace it. Yeah, yes, exactly. You'll have, you'll have to report back to us. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe they'll be like, no, nah, I just got so hammered because I was so nervous and then I puked. I just want to get hit on. Let's face it. I just want to get hit on. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jeff. Thank you. That wrapped up our conversation with Jeffrey Shaw. Jeffrey. Thank you so much for joining us, and apparently we find out that we are both kindred underwear spirits when it comes to taking the public stage. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show, therefore more people get to discover their inner awesome. While you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform it is you listen on, whether it is iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the various other podcasting platforms in which you can find this show. For full show notes, references, and resources, as well as Jeff's contact information, head to www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. And for this episode in particular, I highly encourage you to head out that way because Jeff's got a ton of free resources for you that I want you to scoop up. And you can only get those at our website at discoveryourinnerawesome.com. That'll do it for this one. Thank you again to Jeff Shaw for joining us. For Victoria Cohen, I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. It's been a long time coming. Been tired of turning. Been tired of running.